Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. A series on the book of Philippians called Indestructible Joy. And uh, I've been hearing different testimonies about how this message is encouraging people in good times and also in difficult times. And so uh, if you haven't, uh, if this is your first time, you can catch up on that series on our podcast. Uh, But we're going to continue today in our series, Indestructible Joy. Let's pray together before I start. Jesus, we just honor you. Lord, we thank you um, that our worship and our posture and the purpose and the reason that we're here is not only to glorify you, but to become like you. Lord, we want to be a church that is like Jesus, that looks like Jesus, that acts like Jesus, that sounds like Jesus. And God, we pray and we thank you for the power of the Spirit that is alive within us to achieve that task in the name of Jesus. Well, this morning I want to talk about culture. And the reason that I want to talk about culture is the Philippians church we're at the center of three powerful cultural forces that were at play in society in that city at that time that was threatening to pull them apart. And I'm going to break down what these cultural forces were. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about culture. Now, culture is the collective expression of a shared set of values that are both visible and invisible. Now, what what do we know? That churches have culture, workplaces have culture, cities have culture, nations have culture, and even internationally, there is flows and forces of culture that is at work. Now, culture is impressive. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes it is impressive to kind of look at, but culture wants to impress itself on us. It wants to form us. It wants to change us. Not only is it impressive, it is immersive. We are surrounded by culture and influenced by culture often without knowing it. You know that story of the frog in the pot and as the temperature changes, the frog boils but doesn't even know it because it's a gradual change. That's often what happens with culture is that things shift around us and we may or may not be aware of those shifts. The other thing that I would say is culture is ambitious. Culture is not passive, but culture wants to conquer. Culture wants to rule. Culture wants to impose its will upon us. So the church in Philippi are at the center of three powerful cultural forces. Now, sometimes they intersect and sometimes they're different. The first is Greek culture. And I would summarize Greek culture at this time by this phrase, the powerful self. Greek culture is all about self-empowerment and self-betterment. So what did the Greeks value? The Greeks uh, were the, the uh, origins and started Western thinking, rational thinking. The philosophers, the great philosophers uh, were Greek philosophers and they valued 
rhetoric, public speaking. They also valued physical appearance. So they had a, a thriving gym culture in Greek society. They had the, the games, the Corinthians, the Ithmian games, hard to say, but I nailed it. <laughs> Proud of myself. The powerful self, Greek culture. I would describe Roman culture as the ambitious self. Roman culture was about influence, was about controlling your environment, controlling people around you in order to impose your will upon them. And in the Roman Empire, it was rapidly expanding and there were lots and lots of opportunities for people to have a part of the Roman Empire and to do that by imposing Roman will on cities, on nations, conquering, controlling. This is Roman culture. And it was driven by status and the potential for political and economic advancement. All right, so we've got two kind of, they're related, but two powerful forces. Now, here's one thing that they both shared. They both shared a focus on self. And when you have any culture that is focused on self, here's what happened. People live for the moment. They live for themselves. It had a high value. Both Greek and Roman cultures had a high value on seeking personal pleasure. Lifestyles, drunken parties, sexual promiscuity. It was the most normal thing in their culture, these type of activities. And we get the idea of what it was like by other historical writings and works at this time period. There was a Stoic philosopher called Seneca, and he was a contemporary of Paul. About the time that the Apostle Paul was kicking around, so was Seneca. And he said this, it's quite a, a shocking statement, but to give insight into what was happening in this culture. He says this, chastity is simply a proof of ugliness. And what he was saying is the only reason, in context, the only reason a wife wouldn't cheat on her husband is because she's ugly. What a terrible thing to say, right? But it gives you an insight into the cultural values at that time. Now, of course, we know this is not true. And of course, we know this is not the way of Jesus, but this is what was happening. And in the Philippian church, there were people that were wholeheartedly buying into these values, buying into the values of putting self first, maybe for personal empowerment or maybe for control, maybe for status, for economic advancement. And how do we know this? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 it says for I've told you often before and say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ listen to this they are headed for destruction their God is their appetite they brag about shameful things and they only think about this life here on earth there were people within the church and around the church who were not putting Jesus at the center. They were putting themselves at the center. They were not living for eternity. They were living for the moment. And, the, and it's breaking the Apostle Paul's heart. 
And it should within our church, and it should for those who call ourselves Christians, we should be the ones that sound, look, and act like Jesus. And where we are outside of that, it should break our hearts. And where we are in positions of leadership and influence, and we see this going on in the church, it should move us, like the Apostle Paul, to tears. Why should it change us? Why should it impact us? Because if you do that, we have Christians and we have the church that do not look, act, and sound like Jesus. We have Christians and people in the church that look, act, and sound like the world. And that is not what God has called us to do. And it's not who God has called us to be. So it should move us. It should grip us. It should arrest us. And it should call us back to looking and putting our eyes on Jesus. And this is what God has called us to do. But remember I said that there were three cultural forces. This one was also at play, Jewish culture. And Jewish culture was all about religious performance. Religious performance is doing the right things without a heart connection. Doing things for people without loving people. Doing things to prove yourself to God. And we've all done it. We all think sometimes that we have to do things for God to love us. And in Christianity, that is not the case. God loves you. And then the things that you do are from God's love. And so in the Philippians church, some were of Jewish background. There were also traveling uh, preachers and teachers called Judaizers. And their message was to be a Christian, you have to follow the laws of Moses. 613 laws plus plus. There was all these other ones that were added and all these religious traditions. And say, if you want to be faithful to Jesus, you have to follow these other things. One of the things that they were saying is you have to be circumcised. All right. If you don't know what that is, Google it with safe search on after the service and don't choose images. Okay. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, hopefully we've got a bit of background here. It says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. So we've got this cultural forces of self pulling people in different directions and this cultural force of religion trying to also pull people away from relationship and love of Jesus. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, what Paul is about to say is that he was at the pinnacle of Jewish religious performance. And if you know a little bit about the Apostle Paul, he had a vision and an appearance of Jesus himself. He was actually killing Christians and God appeared to him and called him to a different life. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. A little bit of an overshare, but important. 
I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, these cultural forces were trying to and had the, the, the effect of being pulling people apart. Now, let me show you a picture of what can happen when we're pulled apart, we're pulled in different directions by different things. Here's a, it's, it's a little graphic. This is a painting of the martyr and torture of the Christian theologian Hippolytus, who was tortured to death in 235 AD by another member of the church, no less. And this is the idea of dismemberment or distortion when someone is pulled in different directions. You can take it down now. What happens is that if we are attached to culture and attached to Christ, that we can feel a pull that can violate our integrity as Jesus followers. God has called us to be whole. One of the things about Christianity is that it is a holistic religion. As a Jesus follower, it matters what you say, not just what you believe. It matters what you say. It matters what you do. It matters what you don't do. Why? Because you have a revelation of who Jesus is, not because you're following a bunch of rules. And not because those rules are imposed upon you, but those rules are based on a conviction that overflows from your heart and you realize it is for your life and your benefit. But there are times when our integrity can be challenged if we allow ourselves to be pulled apart by different forces and cultural forces. Now, I'm sure you've felt it. I'm sure that you've felt, probably not in an environment like here, but for you as someone who's either exploring faith or someone who is a committed Christian, you've been in cultural environments, maybe workplaces, social gatherings, where the culture there is very strong and it causes you, wants to pull apart and turn up out of character. Now, for me, by the grace of God, most of my Christian life, most of my life, I've followed Jesus. I had a, a radical encounter with God when I was 15 years old. But I remember when I was 16, all my friends knew I was, I was Christian. And I remember, I can actually tell you where I was. It's a small thing, right? But I started swearing to impress a friend. But my friend pulled me up on it. And they said, Andrew, that's not you. You don't swear. And I was like, ah. Oh. In little ways and big ways, we've all been environments where we try to do things to fit in and it begins to pull in our hearts and sometimes it, we break our own hearts by doing things 
and saying things and allowing things to happen that we know are not us and not what God has called us to do. And we sometimes show up differently in different groups of people and we don't have that integrity and that consistency of character that Jesus wants to produce in us over time. Transformation, a life transformed. And if we don't pay attention to this tension, it will tear us apart. But it won't just tear us apart, it will tear us apart. It will tear a church apart. Because God has called the church to imitate Jesus, to have the unity and the fellowship as we put our eyes on Jesus, not ourselves, and as we humble who we are under the authority of God and receive the life benefits from it and receive the transformation from of it. So, I said all that to get to our main passage. Philippians chapter 3, this is Paul starting to talk about how we can navigate through these powerful cultural forces. Philippians 3, 7, it says, I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? As garbage. So I could gain Christ and become one with him. Have you ever heard the saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure? There's a TV show that I don't watch all the time, but sometimes it's on, uh, you know, late at night and you're kind of flicking through the channels and it's the series called Hoarders. Who Who has seen that? Okay. Hoarders is about this, the ancient art of not letting go. Another way to describe hoarders is this. When people treasure trash. And homes are piled up so high with junk and sometimes even literal trash. There's people actually get to a point where they don't do this. Now, some of this, this picture is giving some of you It's making some of you jittery. I took this this morning. (laughs) We have three kids. They're not very tidy. That's their job this afternoon. And if you've seen the show, this is mild compared to... Sometimes people are actually getting to a point where they cannot actually throw, even throw out rubbish. Now, when you watch the show, you actually have a lot of empathy for the people and you see that it's often connected to trauma 
and it's often deeply rooted in the idea of a fear of lack and so we have a lot of empathy for people there's emotional connection sometimes to objects and a fear of a fear of lack but i think what most people are are thinking about when they're watching this show is this it's so clear to me that this is trash it's so clear to me that you need to rid your house of this isn't that what you're thinking when you when you're seeing that it's so obvious and this is what the apostle paul is saying to the church at the philippians in 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 philippi to the philippians he's saying it is so obvious to me and so complicated to you that your life is filled with things that are worthless compared to Jesus because there's a gap there's a gap this is strong language you have cluttered your house you are a hoarder and we're like no 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 I, no but i've got an emotional connection to this Jesus or like if if i lose this then i won't have enough if i if i you know sometimes god calls us to to break from toxic relationships but sometimes we don't because if i lose this relationship i will be alone if i lose this relationship i will never have anyone and there's a fear of lack and an emotional connection but what will happen if i put jesus first i'll get ridiculed i'll get cancelled He says, can't you see that Jesus is the greatest prize? He is the greatest treasure. He has surpassing an infinite value. And they're still struggling to come to terms. He says, can't you see that the only power culture has is power that you give it. When we have Jesus in our life, It's not as though culture holds on to us we then hold on to culture and the power of sin the power of culture is broken and we just need to attach ourselves to Jesus So I want to give you a couple of things that the apostle Paul talks about about how we can live with Jesus as our greatest value our greatest ambition to have relationship with Jesus and the first way that we live with Jesus as our greatest prize is by desire verse 10 the first part says i want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead desire i want to the question is do you want to Last night I invited over to um hanging out with my brother and his family and we had a little fire pit in the backyard. I don't know if you've had like a fire pit experience or a campfire experience where the fire rises and falls. And sometimes it seems like it's gone out, but if you push back the ash, there's a burning coal. 
I believe that at minimum, everybody has a burning coal in their life, a desire, a spark, something that is of God, something that is of Jesus, that we can tend to, that we can grow, that we can allow, we can clear off, we can build up things around us. And I want to encourage you that we should have a desire and passion for Jesus. And some of you are like, yes, I... I need to rekindle that. But that's where it starts. It starts by desire. We put Jesus in his rightful place by desire. The second thing is by priority. He says, yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. Do you know one of the best ways to understand relationship with Jesus is through a healthy and committed marriage? In the Bible, God's relationship with His people is described as a covenant, but that's also what is a, just a marriage is. A marriage is a covenant between a man and a wife. And what you do in that relationship is... You, haven't, you make promises to each other and you elevate your relationship with each other above other relationships, right? And so you make vows, you make promises and you're saying, I prioritize you. Here's one of the vows from a recent wedding. It's this, I promise to love you in good times and in bad. What about our relationship with Jesus? Do we make promises to love Him in good times and in bad? I want to say that probably good times are harder than bad times because in good times, often we tend to forget Jesus because we got the other stuff that we want. We don't think about it. But it's by priority to say, Jesus, my relationship with you is unlike any other relationship. And if I have you, I have everything. And if I don't have you, I have nothing. Not to say that Christianity gets you to shed other relationships. It just asks you to build your life on the priority of your relationship with Jesus. The third thing, the third way we live with Jesus as our greatest prize and highest value is this, is by faith. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. Now, this is, this is clear that our relationship with God is not like other relationships with people that we can see visibly with our eyes and hear with our ears. But that doesn't mean that it's alive. One of the things that I've been uh, doing with my kids, I've got three kids, uh, 13, 10 and 7, is I teach them how to hear the voice of God. And so it's, it's pretty standard. The, the excuses that we all use are excuses that, that come from the kids. I can't hear the voice of God. He doesn't speak to me like he's, he might speak to you, Dad, but he doesn't speak to me. And I'm like, okay, okay. Well, let, let's, you know, let's do this. So I'm, 
last Sunday afternoon, I'm going for a walk with my seven-year-old. I said, as we walk, we're going to ask God to speak to us, to give us thoughts in our mind. We're going to ask him to say things which are loving and kind and true. He says to me, I don't hear God when I'm walking. I only hear him in my room. That's what he says. And I said, okay, okay. But let's just walk and and you repeat after me. God, I pray that you'd show me things that are kind and are true. And so we're walking and I say, do you have any thoughts that are kind and true? And he says to me, I'm not dumb. And some of the older boys a couple of weeks ago, some of the grades above had called him dumb. And he had started to say that. Now, as a parent, you want, you want to say, you're not dumb, you're not dumb. We say, hey, mate, you, you can't speak to yourself like that. But there's something different when God himself speaks spirit to spirit that is by faith. Do you know that God wants to give you that same level of encouragement? That's what it means to know Jesus. When God speaks to you spirit to spirit, how can I explain it? It's hard to explain. The best way to explain explain it is by you doing it I've never met anyone who hasn't been able to hear the voice of God if they just got past their own objections and actually sat still for about 10 minutes and cleared their mind God wants to speak to us but it is by faith it is by trust and that's what he's called us to do the fourth thing is by sacrifice I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Do you know we sacrifice for things that we love and for people that we love? This is true in life. And part of saying yes to Jesus is saying no to other things. Sometimes I think, What I notice within myself is that sometimes we try to accessorize our life with Jesus rather than putting him at the center. And God calls us to build our lives on God, not to try and shoehorn different moments when it's convenient. Now, I know that's a culturally challenging thing in a time where people are really busy. But do you know what I find when I build my life on the presence of God and on prayer? Is that my life is, there's a calm, there's a peace, there's a clarity. The fifth and final thing. We live with Jesus as our greatest prize and highest value is by persistence. And this should encourage us all. Even the Apostle Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. What he's saying is we are called to a life that constantly responds to the love of Jesus, that constantly responds to the grace of Jesus. We don't earn the grace of Jesus. We don't earn the love of Jesus. But as it comes to us, 
we respond by saying, yes, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to put you in first place and best place in Jesus' name. Why don't we pray together? This is one of my favorite times of actually of the whole service because it's a time where we open up to allow the Holy Spirit to speak spirit to spirit. And so I want you to just take a moment and just be open to what God might want to say to you. How does He want to encourage you? How does He want to call you to be like Him? What does He want you to lay down in order to pick up what He's called for you? So Holy Spirit, across this room, speak to hearts, spirit to spirit, a voice that is true and that is kind and that is loving. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. What's he saying to you? What's in your mind right now that is kind, loving, and true? Jesus, we we just thank you that there is nothing compared to you. Lord, I pray that everyone would be encouraged day by day, moment by moment, to respond to your grace and your love. To open their hearts to you. And so, God, I pray that people would be encouraged, would be strengthened, would be challenged, would be filled with grace and love. Those that have made mistakes, like all of us have, would say, today is a day that I can respond to the grace and love of God. And so, Lord, we declare that as Christians, we want to look, act, and sound like you. Lord, as a church, we want to be a church that is like Jesus, that represents Jesus that is known for our love for you and the way that we honor you. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.